Welcome to the Rimfire Tactical Podcast. This is your host, Chris, from rimfiretactical.com, and I'm glad you're here. So welcome to episode 38, everybody. I can't believe that we are trucking right along and getting back into a rhythm, finally. Uh, You would think that with everything being slowed down so much over the last, well, eight or nine weeks, I guess, uh, depending on where you are in the U.S., um, and possibly even longer than that, but uh, definitely for all of our listeners that are in other parts of the world, uh, it's been going on for, I believe, much longer, but it's hard to believe that things were um, so slow, if you will, and yet so busy. And I'm just, I've been so frustrated because I feel like I've really dropped the ball on getting some episodes out. And uh, thankfully, things are starting to uh, ease up a little bit, if you will. And I'm excited to be able to get some some new content out uh, for everyone. I'm also excited. I've uh, got some, uh, some heavy hitters lined up to be coming on in some uh, episodes of the next few weeks. And I uh, <laughs> really think you guys are going to be excited about who we're going to have on. But this past weekend... Depending on where you are, you know, I mentioned before that things were starting to open up a little bit and um, I had a really uh, odd experience, a unique experience. Um, I guess it was last Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, had a buddy of mine, good friend, a guy that um, knows guns really well and just a neat guy, uh, somebody I always enjoy talking with. He and I, for years, have tried to link up our schedules so that we could go out and shoot. And, you know, it just seems like there's always something in the way. You know, I've got some time free. He's working. He's got time free. I'm out of town or got something that's, uh, you know, a commitment already planned, something with my family or something like that. So, you know, this has been a, a kind of a running joke for the longest time. Because it's like, you know, we both talked about it and talked about it, but it just doesn't seem to be happening. And, um, you know, during this COVID crisis, as I keep, you know, referring to it, it seemed like every time that I would go to check in with him and make sure he's doing okay, um, his parents are a little older, kind of like mine. And so um, try to catch up and just seems like we were constantly uh, missing each other. And finally connected one day last week and, you know, started talking about some different things. And, and he mentioned that he wasn't working as much overtime and things as he had been. And, and I said, Hey, you know, listen, I'm, I think I'm going to go shoot some on Saturday. Uh, why don't you go to the range with me? And he was like, you know what, man, I don't have anything planned. Absolutely. Dude. I'd love to go. Well, you know, it's almost, let me make sure that there's no conflicts that, you know, are popping up in the next couple of days, but let's plan on doing that. So fast forward, we get to, um, get all the way to Friday night and I gave him a call. I guess it was around, yeah, it wasn't late. It was maybe four thirty, five o'clock. So early after uh, mid afternoon, I called and I was like, Hey, Jeremy, buddy, uh, everything's a go, you know, tomorrow looks great. And then he goes, 
well, that sounds cool. He said, what time do we need to leave? And I was like, you know, I don't really have any plans. And he goes, well, I mean, I don't want to shoot the match. I just want to go and watch. And so I was like, well, what match are you talking about? And he goes, well, one of those matches you're always talking about shooting in, isn't there one tomorrow? And I looked at the calendar and sure enough, it was the third Saturday of um, May, which uh, there's a match that I shoot every third Saturday. Um, it's one that you've heard me talk about in previous episodes. It's called Extreme Silhouette, um, but basically what they do is you're shooting silhouette targets. It's the actual rimfire silhouette size. And um, the distance is doubled, though, from standing silhouette because this smash is shot from the bench. And um, so essentially you're shooting the chickens at 80 yards, the pigs at 120, the turkeys are, I believe they're 154, maybe 160, I think, maybe at this range. And then the Rams are at 200. So when Jeremy said that about the match, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. let me check. I, I've, I know they've had to close or cancel a few matches, or at least I was under the impression they had because of COVID and governor's orders and all that good stuff. So I started calling, um, called everybody I could think of, couldn't get an answer. Um, thankfully, jumped into uh, Facebook and went to the club's Facebook group and posted there. And uh, one of the guys that shoots in the match replied within, gosh, I guess 30 or 45 minutes. And he was like, yeah, we're definitely having the match tomorrow. And so just like that, you know, my plans for Saturday changed. Uh, gave Jeremy a call back and I was like, man, I'm so glad you said something about it. Great news. The match is on. Which rifle do you want to shoot? You know, I'm, I'm going to take some, some extra rifles and just, you know, you think about which one you want to shoot and, um, you know, we'll, we're going to have a great time. So we made the plans for him to swing by the house, you know, he ride with me and I, uh, I, I was excited, man. And, and what's funny is he was adamant. He said, nah, man, really don't care about shooting. I just want to go and kind of see how the match runs and everything. Well, for those of you that know me, uh, you'll understand, you already know what I'm about to say, but for those of you that don't, I am, um, in sales with, with my companies and, and everything. And so, um, I feel like I'm pretty good at being able to, um, you know, present uh, a reasonable um, uh, defense or or discussion on why somebody should do something, especially something they enjoy like shooting and, you know, shooting in a match. So I spent Friday night essentially going through loading magazines. Um, I took several rifles with me because I wanted to give him plenty of options. Um, he has... Like I said, a lot of uh, firearms knowledge. He's a good shooter, um, but he never shot this type of match. And so I wanted to, you know, hook him up with anything and everything so that he would have he would have a great experience at the match. And um, so I, I, I took along a couple of voodoo's. I also took along a CZ 457 Pro Varmint. Uh, you've heard me talk about that rifle in previous episode and you've also seen me post about it some in the 
uh, Rimfire Tactical Facebook group. The CZ is a rifle that I put together as an option to shoot in base class in NRL 22. And um, the reason I did that is because, and this has been well documented in previous episodes, but in case this is your first time hearing it, my philosophy on going to a match, any match, I feel if I'm driving to that match, I want to shoot as much as I can while I'm there. Now, I'm not talking about just shooting extra rounds on each stage or anything like that. But what I am talking about is trying to be involved as much as I can. And a lot of the local matches that I shoot in will have two separate matches um, on the same day. The one that I'm going to talk about in this episode, they typically have the first match of the day is referred to as the unlimited match. It can be shot with any rifle, factory or custom. It can be you. You can use any um, um, any optic. You can go all the way up to a, a 15 to 55 night force competition, or or as you know basic as a three to nine Simmons. There's no preference there as far as what rifle you use, what scope you use. You can also use any ammunition. Uh, it can be high velocity, standard velocity, subsonic. Uh, it can be, frankly, I guess you could use hollow points, although I don't think anyone does. But specifically in this particular match, they'll even allow you to shoot a 17 HMR, a 17 Mach 2, a 17 WSM, or a 22 Magnum. You don't just have to shoot. Uh, 22 long rifle. Um, after the unlimited match is done, oh, and one more thing about the unlimited is you can use any type of support for your rifle that you choose because you are shooting from a bench. So you can use a bipod and a rear bag or no bag. You can use a two piece rest, a one piece rest. Um, really, the sky's the limit. Um, I've even seen people just put a bag down and shoot off of a bag. But with the unlimited class, you know, the sky's the limit. When you move to the second match of the day, it's referred to as the squirrel rifle or factory class. And in this particular class, the shooter has to use a factory built rifle. So if you've got a CZ that you have, uh, taking the factory barrel off and put a maybe a Lilja drop in because that's a really common uh, modification a lot of people do to a, a CZ. Um, that CZ doesn't qualify for that class because it's modified. This is supposed to be a factory rifle. You can make changes to the scope, but you can't change the stock. You can't change the barrel. Um, the other thing that is a limitation in the squirrel rifle or factory rifle class is that the optic cannot have the magnification turned higher than nine power. So the interesting thing about that is it eliminates a lot of the rifles that people use in the unlimited class, not because the rifle itself isn't factory, because there are a ton of people that shoot in that match that are shooting CZs, whether they're 452s or 455s or 457s. Um, there's a lot, there's uh, a few people that shoot and shoots that are factory rifles. Um, 
you know, there's, there's so many different ones that get shot, but a lot of them have a great optic, whether it's the, a really co uh, common one that you see there is either the night force bench rest, the 12 to, to 42 model or the night force competition, 15 to 55. Um, I've seen some others that have been, um, I think I remember seeing someone use a Cytron one time, a 10 to 60. And so the problem for those shooters, especially if that's the only rifle that they bring, is even though the rifle itself would qualify for the factory class, the optic takes them out of that class. But, uh, but anyway, that's, uh, like I said, uh, a <laughs> little rabbit trail there, but I wanted to talk a little bit about that CZ because I'm going to come back to it a little bit later. So like I said, I took, took the CZ, um, I took the Voodoo uh, that I have in a J. Allen chassis. Um, I also took another Voodoo, uh, the one that's in the all composites um, carbon fiber stock. And um, then I took a couple of Anschutz rifles as well. I took a 1416 in a manor stock. Um, I think Anschutz North America did this as like a limited run from their custom shop. And it's, uh, it's just a great rifle. It's in a, um, it's the 1416 heavy barrel and it's in a manor's uh, stock. Uh, it's just a great rifle. Uh, it's got a great feel to it. Um, but then I also went ahead and um, I took my Anschutz 1727 trainer which if you're not familiar with that the 1727 is the the toggle bolt as what most people seem to refer to it as uh, from the Anschutz lineup a lot of people refer to them as like the biathlon rifle and um, you know it's just a neat neat gun um, it is one of my bucket list um, or ultimate uh, rimfires if you want to call it that um, and, you know, as a side note, I mean, I, I think we all have different things that we like, but a lot of guys that are into shooting and into guns, you know, we like gear, we like, we like all the tools and the pieces and the parts. And for me, uh, growing up and then later on in my twenties and getting in my thirties, I really started putting together kind of this, this bucket list of what I thought would be just the ultimate rifles. And, you know, ones that I used to think in terms of if I, if I could get one of those, I would never have a need for another one. Um, what I figured out is need, you know, not having a need for another one is very true. But at the same time, it's ridiculous to think that's the case because I've, I've blown that so many times. But I've had a ton of uh, rifles through the years that were just bucket list rifles to me. Um, some of them I've uh, been fortunate enough to acquire through the years. Others I have not, not yet, but uh, nearly all of them have definitely lived up to the hype uh, or what I thought they would be. Some didn't, and uh, and that's okay. You know, those I, I learned. Uh, and those bucket list rifles, they didn't start out in the Anschutz category. Uh, years and years ago, my, one of my first ones that I just I just couldn't wait to to own was actually a Ruger 7722 because I thought they were so beautiful and you know that one didn't live up to the hype but 
a lot of those bucket list rifles since then have, especially several um, Anschutz models. But I know my buddy Jeremy, he likes high-end guns. He likes really good glass. So I thought, you know, those two Anschutz, the, the two Voodoo's, definitely he's going to find something there that, I, that he's going to just, you know, he's going to shoot this match with me. And I'm just going to make it irresistible for him. I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to put together the best um, ammo and the best scopes and, and rifles, and he's going to have a great time. So the next morning, he shows up at the house, and we're talking about shooting. We're talking about the match. I'm kind of giving him the layout of, or layout of how the match works and you know, answering questions and all the way to the match. An hour, a little over an hour drive up, you know, he's asking questions, and the whole time I'm thinking, yep. He's saying he's not shooting, but he is absolutely going to shoot this match. So we get there and he breaks out his chair and sits down. And I was like, hey, man, you got your stuff set here. I said, let's go grab a rifle. Which one do you want to shoot? And he's like, oh, I'm not shooting. And so after about the fifth time of me trying to convince him to shoot, I finally accepted the fact that apparently he had really decided he wasn't going to shoot, which was fine. Because I totally get wanting to see how something works, you know, just to kind of dive into it and take it all in. So, you know, something I would offer up as a tip here is if you've had people that you have invited to shoot with you in the past and for whatever reason, they haven't been able to make it, whether it's timing, whether it's, um, you know, other things. I mean, there's, there's, there's always going to be some things that are happening in the background. Maybe you don't know about, you know, different scenarios with work or family or whatever, but don't give up on them. Um, you know, that's the, that's the thing I would, I would really, you know, just, I can't stress it enough because it's, it's so worth it to you, but it's also so worth it to them. Okay. So we finally get to the match. Like I said, couldn't convince him to, uh, to shoot. And, uh, and actually when we got there, I felt like we were getting there plenty early and instead of getting there, well, we were early, but there was a ton of people there and more people showed up and more people showed up. And if I'm not mistaken, I think between the people who were watching the match and the people who were shooting the match, there were somewhere in the neighborhood of about 35 to 40 people. Now, depending on what type of match you're talking about and where you're talking about it, 35 people may be a lot, or it may just be a drop in the bucket. Um, I know there's, uh, there's a, an NRL 22 match that I'm hopeful we'll be able to work some details out and have um, the match director there. Uh, but I, I believe the record for number of shooters at an NRL 22 match is believe around 90 shooters, which is, that's a, a phenomenal crowd. But uh, this particular match, I don't think I've ever shot it with more than maybe 15, 16 shooters at the most. Uh, sorry, I had to get, have had a little coffee, guys. So, you know, moving forward, there's so many people that are there. And, uh, and not only is there a lot of people who are there, uh, as shooters, but like I said, there's, there's quite a few, um, people who are there to watch and that's not something we normally get a lot of, but it was really cool because 
you're seeing a lot of these people that are interested in this type of shooting that, um, you know, just had heard about the match, had heard it was a lot of fun, and wanted to come and see what it was all about before they were fully committed. Well, as you get there and you sign up for the match, as, as you're getting there, uh, that put me middle of the pack of starting, which was was fun because you got to sit back and kind of talk, you know, to some of the shooters and go through some details. And of course, one of the things I always like to do is take a look at and see what everyone's shooting. And uh, Jeremy, being a big gun guy, uh, he did the same thing. So we were looking, you know, several people were shooting. Uh, There's some CZs. Um, there was an Anschutz uh, and uh, a 54. And shoots. Uh, it's one of the older um, 54 match uh, versions. Uh, 64 MPR. Uh, like I said, several CZs from 452s to 457s. Um, Tika. There was a gentleman there shooting a Tika. Some people shooting uh, Ruger 1022s as well as uh, I noticed one fellow shooting a Remington 597. Uh, there was also some um, some um, 17 HMRs being shot. Uh, I believe there was a Ruger Precision, a CZ457 in the At One stock. Uh, a Savage was also being shot, um, which you know it, it's kind of interesting to see how the 17s perform. But um, you know, just a broad range of rifles that were being used. And the optics go everywhere from, as I mentioned before, uh, you had, you know, night force competitions all the way down to three to nine Simmons and three to nine Tascos. A couple of other rifles, I just happened to think that I I left out of that list that people were shooting were, uh, there was a couple of original Remington 40X uh, 22s, just beautiful guns and really neat. Um, Had a chance to check one of them out for a bit and get behind it. Kind of wish I hadn't done that because I've always managed to avoid um, really lusting after one of those. But there's a part of me that could probably convince myself that I would need one of those in the future. But as we dove into the match, finally got started. Uh, I was going to shoot my Voodoo and the J. Allen chassis. And, and uh, I sat down and, you know, got comfortable and, and this is just something that um, I tried to talk through, you know, what I was doing with Jeremy through the match because I wanted him to I wanted him to have a great time because I wanted him to come back because I know he'll have a lot of fun. But I also just want to make sure, you know, he could kind of see what I'm doing and, and everything because he's never shot any type of competition before. So I sat down, shoot the, the chickens, went ahead um, and the way that these targets are laid out there is a um, there's a pretty significantly sized uh, cider plate at the end of the bank of targets at each distance and like I said it's a large steel plate the reason it's there and so big especially is to allow you to uh, test your dope make sure that you're on target it's also an opportunity for you to you know, not only make sure you've got your elevation taken care of, but make sure your windage is good and it's large enough so that you can have one shooter that's, you know, making sure everything's good to go 
on the top of the disc, but also, you know, room at the bottom for the other shooter because at each distance, you have two shooters that are shooting each distance. So two shooters start off on the chickens, and then once they've shot the chickens, they move down two benches. And now on the next relay, the those guys are shooting pigs, and there's two new shooters that are starting on the chickens. And then after those guys are done, then they each move down two benches. And now the guys that were shooting the pigs are shooting the turkeys, and the guys that are the shooters that were shooting the um, chickens are now shooting the pigs and so on. And you just run through the match that way. It works really, really well. And, you know, I've had some people say, well, it seems kind of crazy to have an op or have it set up so that people can shoot as many ciders as they want. And I get that from a competition standpoint and, you know, maybe trying to weed some people out. But when you have people that come to the match that have never shot a 22 past maybe 50 yards, having those plates there, it's really beneficial for them. And at the end of the day, there's no money on the line in this match. There's nothing but just fun and, you know, just, just some competition. That's all it is. So it's well worth, you know, having those things set up so that people get an opportunity to check stuff out. But, um, you know, I shot a few ciders and everything was right on, you know, right on line, right where it should be. And so, you know, I, I looked out and I couldn't see the, the breeze moving at all. I shot one more side around and everything was perfectly calm. And so I just immediately dropped the magazine. I put a fresh magazine in. And the reason I did that, there's two reasons, actually. Once you can shoot an unlimited number of side rounds, but once you go to your first target, in this case, chicken, once you shoot at the first chicken, whether you hit it or miss it, the next five shot or four shots are all, they have to be shot at a chicken. So you can't shoot a chicken, then shoot a cider, then shoot a chicken, then shoot a cider. You have to stay there. You, you're on the chickens. You have to shoot, take five shots in a row. And then you can go back and shoot the cider plate if you want. But then when you start the next bank of five chickens, because you're going to shoot a, a total of 10 targets at each range, you have to complete it. Well, my thought process has been, you know, I'm going to shoot some cider rounds, you know, two, three, maybe at the most. And once I know I'm good, I'm putting in a fresh magazine and I'm going to run five targets. And if the wind hasn't changed, I'm going to run the next five. And that's exactly what I did. And, you know, I don't ever, um, I need to set it back. and I actually need to record myself at one of the matches. That's probably the best thing I could do. But, um, from what I was told, I shot, um, from the time that I changed the magazine and put, um, you know, put the new magazine in and then shoulder the rifle again from the time I pulled the trigger on the first chicken until I pulled the trigger on the last chicken, which was 10 shots. Uh, it was like 48 seconds. I mean, it was, it was fairly quick. Um, and, and there's a reason for that. Um, I mean, I've definitely shot faster, but at the same time, um, I I've watched a lot of the shooters uh, at that match and some others that they take a shot and then they take their time and they they shoot single feed. Even though they have a magazine-fed rifle, they'll you know load one in the chamber at a time, and sometimes they may take as much as a minute 
or more between shots. And in that amount of time, you can go from having no wind to a full value wind, uh, headwind, a tailwind. The wind can do so many different things. And my thought process has always been get on target, hit the target, work the bowl, hit the target, and just move on. And so, um, you know, that's, that's my approach. Um, more often than not, that it seems to work for me. But uh, I was fortunate enough. I cleaned the, the chickens. Uh, we moved on to uh, over to the pigs, cleaned the pigs, um, moved out to the turkeys. And um, it's interesting. I was shooting at the bottom of the cider plate. And my dope was off just a little bit because of the the weather. It was actually considerably warmer. And so my dope was just a little bit off. So I was taking an extra shot, a couple shots at the, um, the cider plate. And I took what I thought was going to be my last shot. I saw the impact of the bullet on the cider plate and then the plate fell. And the impact was a good, um, about, about, three to four, uh, 0.3 to 0.4 mils to the right. And I'd had a few impacts going to the right, but I couldn't see the wind. I couldn't see it doing anything at all. Um, so I was, you know, really wanted that last shot just to make sure. But at the time, now that the plate's gone, uh, I really had nothing else to, to shoot at. And, um, you know, I, I told the guy, that was shooting with me. I was like, Hey, look, we can get them to stop and put that plate back up if you need it. And he said, no, we're good. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to go ahead, put a fresh magazine in and I'm going to run these turkeys. And so what I did is I pulled up to the first turkey. And in my mind, I was thinking, um, I was really thinking in terms of, you know, I need to hold a little bit, but even though I was thinking it, on the first shot, I didn't hold. And I saw the bullet fly right over, uh, right around the, the right edge of the, the first turkey. And then, you know, that was like a, a slap in the face of, hey, dummy, think about what you're doing. And so then the next nine rounds, uh, I held left edge of the turkey and shot all nine uh, with no issues. So I get over to the Rams and I'm down um, one target at this point. Um, shooting at the, uh, the cider plate, everything's looking good. And, um, I ended up going eight out of 10 on the Rams. Um, one round, I think I held just a, a hair high and I did see the bullet fly right over the top of the back. Uh, the other one that I missed, I have no clue what happened there. The hold was good. Um, I think it's just a missed wind call. Um, it's definitely not the rifle. Like I said, Voodoo, it's a great rifle. It's not the scope. It's a night force. It's great scope. Um, shooting center X ammo that that rifle loves. Like I said, I think it was just, it was the guy pulling the trigger that, you know, wasn't paying enough attention. But anyway, a 37 out of 40, I felt like that was pretty good. And, um, you know, I mean, it's, I knew the rifle could do better. Um, and I knew I should have done better, but, um, I, I wasn't unhappy with it. And, and in talking with Jeremy, I mean, he's having a blast watching everybody shoot. Um, so, um, ultimately, you know, we get to, um, um, the next round and because there's still quite a few people that are, that need to shoot 
in the the first match, but I'm chit chatting with lots of different people, and Jeremy and I are talking about everything, and you know, I was explaining why I was shooting as fast as I was at times, and you know, the reason why uh, I would you know stop in in the middle of a magazine and put a fresh one in, and all of that, and and it's just literally all about uh, the time, you know. Once I'm ready to shoot those targets, I want a fresh magazine because there's 10 targets to shoot. And unless that wind changes significantly, I'm shooting all 10 in a row. I'm not going to shoot five and then go back to the side of the plate and then come back to the, um, the last five. Well, the interesting thing in, in doing all this, you know, we're talking and everything, and then suddenly I find out that they're ready to get started with the second match and uh, it's my turn to get on the bench. And uh, as you guys can probably tell, if you've listened to these, these episodes, uh, previous episodes, you know, I can talk for a lot. So <laughs> I had to, had to run down to, uh, to my vehicle. And on the way down, it, it occurred to me that this little CZ 457 that I'd put together, um, the one that, you know, I'd put it together for NRL 22, but I never really tested that rifle a lot. I uh, just shot a few targets here and a few targets there. Uh, the NRL 22 matches um, that I've shot in, the way that they've been ran isn't the way that I thought they were going to be ran. Um, and that's not a criticism at all of them. I was just thinking they would have like uh, people shooting open class and then they would come back around and, and basically run the same stages again for people shooting base class. I didn't understand that it's a mixture of everybody shooting together. So I don't know that, um, I don't know how that will play out in the future as far as, you know, if I will just not shoot open class in, in the future with NRL 22 in some matches and just shoot base class, not because I'm trying to win the class, but just because I want to shoot the little CZ. Uh, I mean, I, we all want to win anytime we're competing, but at, you know, I could care less about, um, well, Actually, at our our range, we don't even do uh, tar like the trophies and stuff like that. So it's not anything along with that. It's just I like to try new rifles and shoot them and see how different things work. But um, I ran down, grabbed the um, CZ, and I really wanted to test the rifle, but I was most concerned about testing the scope. And if you haven't heard... Uh, where I've talked about it or seen where I've talked about it before. With NRL 22 base class rules stating that the MSRP of the rifle and the MSRP of the scope cannot exceed $1,050. When I chose to go with the, the CZ457 Pro Varmint, my choices of scopes was somewhat limited. And I was originally looking at the 4 to 16 Vortex Diamondback Tactical. Uh, I know it's a popular scope, but um, I was having a hard time convincing myself to go with it uh, just because there was just it, something about it. I, I can't really put my mind or my, my finger on what it was that was the problem, but something about it just didn't, didn't work for me. Um, but when I went to look at it, the Vortex, the only place that had those scopes was Cabela's. And while I was having to stand around forever for somebody at Cabela's to help me, I noticed the Cabela's Covenant line of scopes sitting right beside those Vortex. And um, I ended up purchasing the Cabela's Covenant 7 5.56 uh, 
five to 35 scope. Uh, it's uh, five to 35 with a 56 millimeter objective, has a 34 millimeter tube and a little over 26 mils of elevation. So, I mean, there's a lot of features in that scope. And frankly, the reticle's good. Uh, it's not great, but it's good. It's got a center dot with, um, and then more of like your um, hash or mill type reticle with uh, marks every half mil. Um, I mean, if I'm if I'm being truthful, I'd prefer that they be 0.2 mils, but you know, it is what it is. Um, but I really want to put that scope through its paces and see how it would perform. Well, I run up there, and as I was running up back up to the line. One of the things I was thinking about was I was trying to remember how I had handled the magazines the night before. I keep a case, um, it's a Pelican style case that is set up just for magazines. I've got one set up for my CZ magazines. I have another one set up for my Anschutz. And um, it's just a way for me to keep those organized and keep them not only together at home, but to keep them together when I'm out at a match as well. And what happened to me was the night before, when I went to load magazines, I was loading Cinerex because I, you know, I wasn't sure what I would be shooting. But even whether I was shooting it or Jeremy was shooting it, um, or even if, if you know, neither of us shot that rifle in a match, we, the plan was we were going to stop at a different uh, range, a different club that I belonged to on the way home and shoot some more. And I really wanted to see how that rifle would shoot with Cinerex. Uh, never tested it, just always test it with SK, but um, I felt confident the Cinerex would perform well. So I loaded up several magazines and then I started running into loaded magazines that um, I had used previously. I had loaded those up and then ended up not shooting those magazines before leaving the range from the last time I had that rifle out. Well, the problem with that is in all seriousness, I could not remember if those magazines had SK standard because I have a, a really good lot of an older lot of SK standard that I still shoot. And I couldn't remember if it was that or if those magazines had some SK magazine in them. Uh, and the SK magazine, if you're not familiar, it's basically the bulk version of SK standard. So, you know, you're going to get some that shoot really well, some that are a little um, inconsistent, maybe a little more powder or a little less powder. Um, but, you know, at times it can be really good, but you're going to have some inconsistency. But the problem is when, when I realized those magazines had it in there, I thought, you know, I'm probably not going to shoot this thing in the match. I'm not going to stress over it. So the magazines that had Cinerex, they had Cinerex. The magazines that had SK, oh well. But I tried to, um, like I put like a little divider in there so I would remember, you know, one had, which had, which magazines had which. Unfortunately, when I got to, to the line, I could not remember for anything. And so... I just grabbed magazines, thought it is what it is. We'll see how it performs. Well, thankfully, um, I cleaned the chickens, um, but then somehow managed to miss a pig, which is like the easiest targets in silhouette by far. But somehow I managed to miss one. Uh, I saw the bullet fly right over its back and 
Um, the only thing I can think is quite honestly, you know, I just got careless, but, um, I was sort of on autopilot at the time and just missed. So then I got to the turkeys and, uh, the cider plate, they, they couldn't get it reattached. So they had just propped it up against the rack and I'll be darned if the second time I shot that cider plate, it, uh, it, it totally just shifted again. I thought, man, I'm, I'm going to stop shooting this thing because this guy that's shooting with me is going to, he's going to hate me. Put a fresh magazine in and, um, and was fortunate. I ran 10 for 10 on the turkeys. And so now, you know, I'm basically in the same place going into the Rams that I was with the, um, the voodoo. I'm down one with the voodoo. I missed one turkey with the CZ. I'd missed one pig. And, uh, then I rolled right into shooting the cider plate. Well, I put in a fresh magazine because I, you know, I put in a 10 round magazine and shot all 10 rounds on the turkeys. So I, I put in a partial magazine that had three rounds in it. I shot those at the cider and, um, you know, everything looked okay, but, but my dope was needing some, some serious adjustment. So then I thought, okay, I'll put a different magazine in and make sure that everything's good before I put a full 10 round magazine in to shoot the Rams. And what happened next is a lesson that, uh, I mean, it's, I get what I deserve on this. I shot the, um, the first magazine and those the first three rounds, uh, or four rounds, sorry, out of this fresh magazine on the cider plate went into a group that I'm guessing is about the size of a can of skulls. So a little over two inches. Um, everything was tight. It was right where it should be. So I thought, you know what? We're golden here. I dropped the magazine, put a fresh magazine in, and shot the first ram. Well, I knew what the wind was doing. And it was, I knew it was pushing left to right. So I was holding for the wind. But what really surprised me is the first shot, I barely clipped the belly of this ram. The next ram, I barely clipped the top of that ram's back. The third ram, I completely missed. Then it was like every other ram. I ended up going six for 10 on those rams. But what was really interesting is there was no consistency to my impacts. Some were a little high on the body. Some were low. Some I missed completely because it was high or low. Um, and then I had one or two that I hit exactly where I was aiming. And the only thing that I can think of is where I was careless and didn't keep track of what was what I think it was that I was shooting the SK magazine on the Rams because like I said, that rifle, before I started that run of 10 in the fresh magazine, it stacked four into a group that you could cover with the skull can at 200 yards. Like it was nothing. So, you know, ultimately it was carelessness on my part, but the great thing about it, you know, I was fortunate enough. I won the, the unlimited class and uh, was fortunate to win the, uh, the factory rifle class as well. But, um, but on the way home, we stopped off at 
my home range, the one that I shoot at the most, and uh, got those uh, other rifles out. And, you know, Jeremy was having a lot of fun. And uh, he asked, you know, a few questions after he shot the 1727 and not, not a whole lot afterwards. Um, and, and what's interesting about it, though, is he's just like, this is really cool. I've never seen anything quite like it. Well, to fast forward a bit, and this is the reason that I love taking people to shoot is, you know, even though he didn't say a whole lot about it at the time, that was, I guess, by the time we were done shooting for the day, it was probably five o'clock. Um, so the next day by 11 a.m., he was texting me going, hey, I need some help. I got some questions. And, um, you know, we spent probably, I don't know, we, we probably texted back and forth 15 or 20 times. And finally, he just said, can, can you, we talk on the phone for a minute? And, you know, he was totally specking everything out. And um, it won't surprise me at all if, you know, he's not calling Anschutz today, uh, checking on getting a 1727. Um, he's had voodoos in the past. Um, and just, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, my Jay Allen was his. Um, so, I mean, he's, like I said, he's no stranger to top tier equipment or anything like that. Uh, just at the time, work was preventing him from uh, work and taking care of his family was just preventing him from being able to shoot. And, you know, things have changed a little bit now and he's got the time to shoot. And it's just so cool because, um, as he said, never seen one of those before, except for online, you know, didn't know what the trigger was like, didn't know that I'd like the action, you know, didn't know about any of those things. And, and as I jokingly uh, told my wife after uh, I hung up with him um, last night, she's like, you know, what's, what's new with him? And I was like, nothing, nothing special. Looks like I just sold another one. And, um, you know, my wife gets a kick out of it because, um, you know, she knows, she knows how much fun I have with this and, you know, how much in, enjoyment I get out of helping somebody, you know, check things out or get started or something like that. And so the cool thing is, you know, by the time that, um, we're ready for next month's match, I could totally see us, um, I can see him, you know, more than likely, um, definitely if, even if he doesn't have a, a rifle, you know, a new rifle, I'm sure he has quite a few at home that he could shoot or take one of mine, but I can totally see him, you know, shooting those matches in the, in the future. Um, now, you know, he's, he's pumped and looking forward to, uh, the NRL 22 match, which thankfully is happening next month. And, you know, Barring anything unforeseen with all the COVID um, stuff, you know, it looks like maybe we'll start to get back into a rhythm with shooting. So, um, you know, I, I tell you all those things just, you know, not to not to necessarily talk about um, the winning or any of that stuff, but just, you know, just it's a great example to me of it's a great example of, you know, being persistent, always asking. Um, because you never know when somebody's going to finally say, yeah, I can go, or yes, I want to go. Um, in his case, it was never something that he didn't want to go. It was just a matter of he couldn't go. So, you know, being persistent, like I said, he, he must have thanked me a dozen times for, um, for you know, taking him to the match, for, um, you know, letting him shoot, 
the rifles, answering the questions and stuff like that. And I mean, to me, that's priceless because if you've never, if you've been in a position before where you, you haven't had someone that you could ask questions and you sort of had to buy blind, um, and I've done that a bunch, you know, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, but at least if you've got somebody that can answer some of those questions, it's hugely valuable. Now, something that's a little bit different now versus back when I was just getting started is if you don't have somebody that you could ask those questions to, you know, a local shooter, a good friend or family member, you have resources now that weren't available back then. One of the main resources that, that I would suggest you go check out is the Rimfire Tactical Podcast. You know, the thing that you're listening to right now, but also the Rimfire Tactical Facebook group. You know, the group is, is constantly growing uh, tons of uh, posts on there. And um, it's interesting. Since I'm an admin in the group, um, a lot of times if I'm approving when, or when I'm approving posts, I'll you know have a plan that I'm going to approve that post. And then once I get the others approved and, and you know, check out the people who, who have uh, requested to join the group, I'm going to go back and answer that post. And sometimes it might take me two or three minutes. Sometimes it might be five or 10 minutes, you know, and I may get sidetracked and it could be longer, but quite often I've approved a post. And by the time I finish up the other things and go to answer that post, there's already two or three responses or more that are, sorry guys. Um, There's two or three people who have already replied answering someone's question or, um, you know, asking some questions so they can give a better answer. Because sometimes um, someone's asking a question, but unfortunately the question they're asking maybe isn't exactly, um, it's not exactly what they should be asking. You know, somebody's asking about, you know, scope A versus scope B, but what really, you know, they need to be asking is what reticle would be good for the type of shooting that I'm looking to do. And then based off what they like in a reticle, some people prefer a duplex. Some people prefer more of a, uh, a mill type arrangement or a Christmas tree or whatever. You know, at this point, we've talked so many times before, the quality of optics that we have to choose from now in really all price ranges, uh, it's better than ever before. And so um, more so than picking a manufacturer, I think you can benefit as much or more by finding the reticle that you like and then just seeing who offers a reticle like that. Uh, I mean, at this point, you can get great reticles from from Loophole, Night Force, Collis, uh, you know, who else? Vortex. Uh, they're all really good. Uh, and, and like I said, they're good at different price levels, so there's, there's something for everybody. But, you know, you can dive into the, the Rimfire Tactical Facebook group. If you're not a member, head over there and request to join, you know, we'll get you in there uh, fairly quickly. And then from that, you know, you know, get your questions answered. Uh, but don't just ask questions, you know, contribute. When you see somebody that's struggling, think about the people that are, have helped you and, you know, try to help them as well. And, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of questions that come up over and over again, but I always approve them because to me, Telling somebody to use the search function instead of just answering their question, you know, in the same time it takes to tell them to use the search function, you can answer their question and be a lot more helpful. 
So the questions that come up, you know, Voodoo versus uh, Anschutz or CZ versus Tika or which trigger or which scope, you know, you're always going to get fresh perspective from new members and different things. And so it's just, it's a great place to go. And lastly, you can also head over to the rimfiretactical.com website, sign up for the newsletter. Uh, we are still working on uh, getting the forum up and running, but um, there is an opportunity to sign up for the, the newsletter. And that way, anytime we have uh, new blogs, new articles coming out or anything like that, uh, we can, uh, you, or you'll get notified of those as well as, you know, coming events, um, the launch of the forum and, uh, you know, different things there. Eventually what we're going to roll into that is we're going to start a, an option for um, match announcements and different things of, along those lines. It's just a way to try to extend the community that we've already built with Facebook and just kind of take that to the next level. So with all that said, a couple of parting words, if you will. First and foremost, it's, it's important to talk about our sponsor. Uh, it's getaccuratepayments.com. For those of you that own a business or run a business, you know how important it is to take payments from your customers and know that those payments are complete and that you're going to get paid. And the, the fastest way to know about that is by taking credit cards. If you're selling online, you know, credit cards are essentially the only way to be able to process a payment immediately and know that it was approved or declined. But also if you're running a, a retail business, credit cards prevent you from having to worry about checks clearing or bouncing uh, with everything that's going on with COVID uh, checks and cash require you to touch them. And um, on a side note, if you never thought about it before, I can assure you, if you will just do a simple Google search on how much bacteria is on the typical $1 bill, you'll never want to touch cash again. So if you're looking for fast, reliable credit card processing for your business, whether online or in retail, I highly encourage you to head over to getaccuratepayments.com. There's a contact form you can fill out and someone from the Get Accurate Payments team will reach out to you. There's no stress. It's not a hard sell. It's just simple asking. They're going to ask you some questions, try to provide as much info to you about them and their credit card processing. And if it's a good fit, fantastic. If it's not, no sweat. There's no pressure whatsoever. They're simply here to help. So head on over to getaccuratepayments.com where they do the processing and you get paid. Okay, guys. Well, that's it for episode 38 of the Rimfire Tactical Podcast. Please let me know your thoughts in the, uh, the comments. You can comment on uh, the iTunes app, PodTunes app, comment through Spotify. You can comment on the Rimfire Tactical Podcast Facebook page or the Rimfire Tactical group. Also, let me know what you'd like to talk about in future episodes, any guests that you'd like to have on. And, you know, we'll definitely uh, go in that direction as well. And that's it for this episode. Thanks so much, guys. Cheers.